This is episode 12 of DNA of Games, the podcast series highlighting the disabled and neurodiverse talent in the games industry. I am your host Chris and this podcast was created to chat with other disabled and neurodiverse developers like myself and normalize the discussion around disability and neurodiversity in the games industry. Hi and welcome to another episode of DNA of Games, a podcast that goes around talking to other disabled and neurodiverse people that work in the games industry. Um, today I have a... Well, I say very special guest. <laughs> like it just, the one feels like I'm cheating because <laughs> it's almost like I just ran around the office and just found the first person I could find. <laughs> but I have Ren Snowball, who uh, I have met through Third Kind Games at uh, the HR assistant now or HR admin. Of, like, what is your admin title? There we HR go. HR admin assistant. Very formal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know if you like to introduce yourself in a better way. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that that's pretty much the best introduction I could think of. But yeah, I, I'm Ren Snowball. It's a great name. I know everyone's thinking it. Um, I did choose it myself. So that that's a fun little thing. I changed my name a while back and chose Ren and Snowball's my partner's name. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I work in HR at Third Kind with, with you, Chris. Um, I do music. I play games, do, do a little bit of a bunch of different things and mm. uh, yeah that that's kind of the basic me <laughs> <laughs> the basic you <laughs> and i would say like um i guess the listeners and slash viewers will be interested to know like uh, like how do you like identify in terms of like whether that's neurodiversity or disability um if you don't uh, mind sharing yeah of course like i feel like my identity is very much tied into a whole bunch of different things so mm. i i have autism and adhd um yeah which obviously is a big impact on my life, but I think that those aspects of myself have massively informed how I identify outside of the, the disability sphere. So okay. um, being autistic has really challenged the way I view like society and myself and things like gender, for example. So yeah. I, I identify as non-binary. Yeah. Um, which was something that took me a long time to come to terms with. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, your gender roles are so forced down everyone's throats from a, from a very young age. Yeah. And I was always like, yeah, I'm a woman. I'm a woman. I'm a... I'm not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely spent a few years going down that path and mm. then coming to terms with my sexuality as well. Like, yeah. I identified as bisexual and then a lesbian and then bisexual again and all of this I think is so tied in with my neurodiversity yeah because I'm constantly challenging who I am as a person and how I interact with the world yeah um yeah that's that's really interesting because I think you potentially might be one of the first guests to actually speak about how it ties into like that intersectionality between hmm. identity because like you said it's I guess it informs how you think about yourself and how absolutely how you present yourself I guess to society as well yeah I think it's definitely been a long journey um I didn't find out I was autistic until I was about 18 I think um and with ADHD it was even later than I so I'm still waiting on a formal diagnosis but Boy, do I have it. <laughs> I, I, I've done all of the quizzes you can think of and I fit all the diagnostic criteria. So I'm just like, eh, 
I've got it. <laughs> yeah, thank you but, for the speed for those quizzes. Like, yes, yeah, I do identify absolutely. that teapot and possibly ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing those BuzzFeed quizzes for so long. It's like part of my part of my identity. It's like I am a BuzzFeed quiz taker. <laughs> but, but but yeah, like mm. I think not finding out about my neurodiversity until later in life, um, like with ADHD, it wasn't so formal like, I, I was in therapy when i was younger and that was my therapist said have you considered you might be autistic and i was like no what's autism mm. <laughs> and then i went and had an assessment done and they were like uh yeah so so you're autistic uh, <laughs> and i was like cool thanks i don't know what to do with this information now so i'm not gonna do anything with it for the next like five years um yeah but yeah with adhd my partner was doing some research because she thought she was she had adhd yeah and then we started doing the research together and i was like hang on a second <laughs> i have all of these diagnostic criteria and more and then as goes with neurodiversity i did a bit of a hyper focus on, <laughs> on neurodiversity <laughs> and i was like like going through TikTok and looking at other neurodiverse content creators and thinking yeah. oh i relate to every single word you're saying all of the time yeah oh okay cool so that that is me and with that realization a lot of things in my life started to fall into place like okay. the way that i acted as a child the way i interacted with things as as a child and teenager and everything yeah so much of that is attributed to my neurodiversity and it's so freeing to understand that yeah and like it's never an excuse like it's not oh, sorry, I couldn't meet that deadline because I have ADHD. But it is definitely, like, at work, I can speak to, to my manager and to my, my colleagues and mm. have a bit more understanding with that. So I can say, well, yeah, I do struggle to focus on long bits of writing at once or yeah. I need to take regular breaks when I'm doing things. And it gives me so much more freedom to just be because I understand myself in that way. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of tying it back into like your current job role, like in HR, mm -hmm. like, you know, how has it helped you or not helped you in terms of being like in a HR professional, like working with people, etc. Yeah, like, I think working with people has always been one of my biggest strengths. Uh, I, I love people. I love talking. I wouldn't say I love the sound of my own voice, but I do love talking. <laughs> Having recorded myself enough times, I've learned not to like my voice. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like people like figuring out what makes other people tick is something that I've had to learn to do being autistic and not understanding people mm. so well. I'm like, I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to force myself to work out how other people work. And so in all of my jobs, I've always been, you know, the outgoing, the friendly, everyone talks to me and stuff like that. And I've always been a good listener at, at the same time. When I was at school, my friends would always tell me all these personal things. And I'm like, yep, I know this about you now. That's cool. <laughs> and so I think it, it feels very natural to me to be in this role because I get that opportunity to, to listen to people's problems and yeah. try and help them and to talk to people in so many different ways all the time. And that aspect of my role, I think I find amazing. And a lot of my role is like very repetitive, monotonous tasks, like sending out emails to everyone or 
writing contracts for people or sending out all these different documents <laughs> and I, I I absolutely love it. I thrive on that kind of <laughs> Let me just let me just populate a spreadsheet for the next week and I'll be happy. <laughs> um, but at the same, it, it causes a lot of difficulties. Like I've had to write extended bits of documentation, for example, like yeah. rewriting policies and stuff like that. And I sit there staring at the screen for three hours and all I've written is the title of the document. And my my thoughts are spinning so fast that yeah. it, it like... I actually made this analogy earlier today. It's like all of the words I'm trying to say or think are spinning around like a, like a tornado in my brain yeah. and they're going so fast I can't see any of them. And so I'm having hundreds of thousands of thoughts at once, but I can't think any of them. Yeah. And, and so that definitely presents big challenges, but I do feel like I'm in a really good environment to work through that because <laughs> yeah. you know all my colleagues they're so great there's this one guy called chris you know he's he's really good <laughs> chris mccarthy yes recruiter <laughs> yeah yeah of course, of course it's the only chris we have <laughs> uh, but yeah i think it definitely gives mm. me advantages in some aspects but gives me a lot of struggles in others yeah i guess sort of my interest then is like you know sort of been like it you know being in that hr or operations department you know mm. and you sort of been neurodivergent and then having to work with neurotypical people and then having that like these two group of people that tend to like process information differently tend to communicate differently and go bash together at a team and yep. get to work perfectly together like you know yeah. how, i guess because obviously you've got that standpoint of career neurodivergence kind of coming in sort of say hey this is how somebody who neurodiverse is gonna potentially think potentially do this potentially see this information um mm -hmm. but do you also have to sort of uh, teach yourself the neurotypical way to sort of see it from that point yeah absolutely i mean that's something that i've had to do from a very young age anyway because okay. yeah. i mean i very much struggle with interactions if i don't know how the other person is going to respond yeah. so i i have learned to predict people pretty well i like it's going to sound really sad, but I practice this on like TV shows. I'll be watching a show and I'll be like, you're going to say these words in this order next. And then I like congratulate myself when it's right. And then if it's not right, I'm like, okay, so that's how you said it. Cool. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> but like, I, I've gotten really good at that skill. Mm. And so, which presents challenges in itself because then I interrupt people because I know what they're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I like finish their sentences for them and yeah but i think having that need to be able to anticipate what is happening mm. helps me a lot with neurotypical people because i feel that neurotypical people are quite straightforward like there's a lot of subtext in a lot of what they have to say but at the same time like i i've been around neurotypical people for so long <laughs> and i thought i was neurotypical for so long and pretended to be neurotypical for so long <laughs> that it, it kind of just comes naturally but at the same time i feel like i need to almost champion for the non-neurotypical people yeah and like i am around plenty of them like all of my friends are neurodiverse in some form or another um and i think having an outspoken neurodiverse voice makes things better for everyone yeah. like 
some of the work we're trying to do with our accessibility group is making sure our studio is a better place for neurodiverse people yeah because there's so, such a so much of neurodiversity is hidden disability and yeah. things you don't realize are a disability because you've been dealing with it for the last 50 years or whatever yeah um, yeah i've been a common thing especially with quite a few of my guests that i've had already that have been neurodiverse has been mm. that late diagnosis they you know they've really really just come into ha owning their you know that like their label their diagnosis yeah. like in, in, like and that actually struggled just to get to that point and it's it's interesting to sort of have when they're sort of realizing that and then the, the you know the power that gives them um yeah it it's really empowering to to understand how you behave and the reasons behind it and knowing yourself in that way means that you can uh predict how you will react to things mm. so like i know that if i'm going into a a big meeting with lots of people i'm going to be anxious because talking to one person one-on-one -on -one, it's great it's so easy talking to a small group small group of people two or three it's fine i can engage that many people when it's a group of 20 people it's so much harder because i have to be so much more engaging for all of those people but at the same time when it's one-on-one -on -one, i can work out how you work i can think okay i know how chris is going to respond to me but if there were 20 chris's who were all actually not chris and they were all different people <laughs> um i might know how that person's going to react but i don't know how that one's going to react and so i have to be aware of the fact that that's going to affect me before i get into that situation mm. and a lot of it is just trial and error like i put myself in a situation and i realize oh, th this is not easy. I, I'm not sure I can do this. And then sometimes I put myself in that situation and I deal with it so much better than I expect. Yeah. But it's definitely a case of I need to know how I respond to things and mm. learning how I respond to things helps inform how other people might respond to things who are in the same situation as me. So it all everything feeds into everything. The yeah. more I know myself, the more I learn other people, the more I learn myself. <laughs> I've definitely been learning more, definitely more of like neurodiversity and that, you know, I always, uh, um, I'm thankful that I work with people who are neurodiverse, uh, so they have friends who are neurodiverse and, you know, that learning of like, oh, actually, you know, I'm not, the information is not going in, I can see it from their face, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. and it's interesting, yeah. I can sort of start, I'm not starting to see like, oh, they're masking right now, or like they're actually being their more authentic self. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to see those personalities sort of come at the forefront. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to see the um, the experiences that they share with me and saying all oh, about having learning or, you know, sort of relearning and sort of seeing, oh, that's the way I behave because <laughs> X, yeah. Y, Z. And um, yeah, where were my thought going? <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I just like, like we were saying about like sort of that learn, you have to sort of live the experience to go through it to realize where you are, mm. what you need, because it's not a on off switch for neurodiversity. You've, you've, you've got all the, it's like all the yep. just like sliders and spinny bits. And it's like, <laughs> like, you know, it's going to take you a while to get all the right settings, what you need absolutely. On, on a particular day, even like it could be different yeah. next day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that I've learned through my own research is uh, especially for, for people like myself with ADHD, um, having a 
routine is often harmful because let's say I made a routine where every morning I get out of bed, I have breakfast and then I work out. That's that's my morning routine. Um, and then one morning I wake up and I simply do not have the energy. I getting a pan out of the cupboard to cook some eggs and then toasting the bread and buttering. It's, it's all too many steps. Yeah. And then when I don't fulfill my routine, then I beat myself up about it because I'm like, well, this is something so simple. I should be able to do this. Why can't I do it? And so what I've learned is that having systems is so much more effective. So rather than like forcing yourself, you will do the same thing at this time every day. When you have the energy, you can do this thing. When you're low on energy, just have a bowl of cereal instead. And maybe just go for a walk instead of doing a full on workout in your living room. <laughs> and having those coping mechanisms, essentially, that that's what it is. Because yeah. it's my brain doesn't work in the same way as someone else's brain. And what works for someone else doesn't work for me and vice versa, of yeah. course. But yes, yeah, it's like, having things like systems in place really make a massive difference. And I think mm -hmm. that can be applied to everywhere. So whether it's your morning system <laughs> or how you act at work, mm -hmm. or how you interact with people more when you've got the energy and you keep yourself a bit more reserved when you don't and explaining that to people as well, because I, I personally believe that the more open we all are about our, I don't want to say shortcomings, but the difficulties we face. Yeah. Then the more effectively other people can treat us with the respect and whatever that we deserve. So if I come into work and I'm just hiding in the corner and not talking to anyone, people might think, oh, is everything okay with Ren? And then they might start trying to talk to me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. But if I explain <laughs> to people some days, I don't want to look at you or hear you or see you or even have you breathe in the same room as me. That's too much. Yeah. Um, and having that conversation allows me to have a much more enjoyable time at work every day. Yeah. Um, I guess like my question, because like some of the listeners will be curious, like, because if they're trying to break into the industry themselves or the mm -hmm. sort, of, like, sort of like junior level, the sort of like, you know, I guess, the feeling that you need to sort of conform and fit into like the, like a company or whatever. So they find, you know, find it very hard to go, Hey, I'm, I need to be different. I need this way of working, mm -hmm. you know, instead of all, you know, the typical way that you're all doing, I, I, I might be like this. And that's kind of nerve wracking to like, sort of, cause it's kind of like, I need to throw a spanner in your works to make it work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely get that. That's a, that's a big point and I think for me I'm really lucky that I've landed into a work environment that supports people being themselves but I have been in environments in the past where that wasn't such an option um I I used to work in reception in in GP practices and so in that role it's very much you come to work you look smart you look professional and you don't let your personal life into work you put your head down to your work, go home. And at the time, my mask was evolved to deal with that. And I just kind of, I did that, but there were parts of, of myself that I couldn't keep away from that. So like 
my excessive need for snacking. <laughs> I, if I'm not eating, my brain isn't feeling sufficiently stimulated. Yeah. And so I would come into work with a backpack full of snacks, like a big three pack box of, of Jaffa cakes and a pack of penguin biscuits. And I would just eat these throughout the day. Uh, <laughs> people would look at me like, Ren, what are you doing? Why are you eating so much? <laughs> And I was like, uh, I, I need to. <laughs> but um, I think, I do think that regardless of your environment, it's important to be yourself as much as you can, as much as, as is appropriate. Mm. Like, there are some things that are necessary. Like, if you have needs, you need to make sure they're being met in whatever environment you're in, whether it's a social circle, whether it's with family, whether it's at work. Yeah. But there are some things that aren't appropriate to bring into every setting. Like you might talk about some things with your friends, but not with your parents <laughs> and some things with your parents, but not at work. Yeah. And I don't think that is so much uh, a neurodiverse issue. Like everyone <laughs> faces that. Like yeah. what I talk about with my friends is not appropriate for my family. <laughs> And probably not appropriate for work either, let's be honest. <laughs> but for me, it's about developing a different mask for every situation I'm in. Okay. So when, when I'm with my friends, that mask can slip a little. I can be more of myself because I trust my friends. My friends are really good. And I don't need to worry about being judged around them. And I'm really lucky on that. Mm. And in all honesty, it's kind of the same at work. When I started in this job... I don't know what seven eight months ago uh so i'm just looking at the calendar <laughs> <laughs> what month are we in i don't know um all but... those years ago when you first started <laughs> exactly exactly it feels like it but <laughs> when i started i was definitely putting that i'm a professional mask on and not yeah allowing myself to have my autistic moments as i call them where like I think it was last week I came into the office and where we have our tea in the cupboard, we have all the little boxes of different tea bags. I went to get my normal tea and there was a different type of tea in the box. And yeah. I had a full on, I can't do this. I can't make a cup of tea for like two whole minutes. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to do. Not only does my tea not exist anymore, there's something else in the spot where it goes yeah. and I, I couldn't handle it. And then I got to my desk and like, there were some papers on my desk and I didn't know what they were. And it's just more layers of things that I was struggling to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I was really struggling that day and I noticed I started stimming more. My hands were flapping a lot and yeah. I was spinning in circles, which is something that I do when I get overwhelmed and I started saying things to my colleagues, like Edie was sitting next to me and I walked up to her and I was saying all these things and my, my speech was going so fast because I was having a bit of a freak out, but it was fine because she was like, oh, can I help? Mm. And knowing that I am safe to have those moments at work has allowed me to drop that mask quite a lot. Like, yeah. when I come to work, I'm pretty much myself. Yeah. Um, and so it's, I think, 
to go back to the question you actually asked me, I think (laughs) it's definitely a case of knowing your environment, um, knowing the people you're around and fostering an environment where it is safe to speak out about yourself because yeah, yeah, I'm not going to talk about what I talk about with my friends at work, but at the same time, it's it's knowing what is safe to talk about and how to talk about it. And if I have a problem, I know that I can talk about that. And if, if I couldn't, then that would be a problem. If, if I had some accommodations that I needed at work, which I do to an extent, like the way that I learn new things and the way I manage my, my work on a day-to-day basis, I do need accommodations on that. And when, when, when I speak to my manager about it, it's a case of, okay, well, what do you need? How can I help? I can't quite do that, but how does this work for you? And it's it's a very open conversation about it, yeah, which yeah. allows me to feel safe and supported. And without that support network in every yeah. aspect of my life, I would struggle so much more. Yeah. Um, but I think even if a person feels that they don't have that support network at work, for example. Mm-hmm take your your manager or if they're not supporting you whoever their manager is aside in a private meeting and say look i'm not feeling supported at work can you help me and if you work out what you need for support you can lay out a bunch of things i need you to give my give me my daily work in a list so that i can prioritize and i can tick things off then as long as it's a reasonable request, I can't imagine why any employer, any decent employer would, would not oblige. Um, so I think it's definitely a case of learning your needs and how yeah. to speak about them. Yeah. yeah. I think it's what yeah. I was trying to it's, say in yeah. a very long-winded it, way. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas that's all I think like, you know, it's kind of, it's a simple answer, but you know, it's better to give the context, you know, whether it's your own life, like experience, mm. like this is how I've, you know, experienced doing, you know, just basically telling about my needs and this, like, I think yeah. if you're along, I think this is kind of why the podcast exists and why, you know, I champion a lot more for, you know, neurodiverse or disabled voices mm. to talk about the experiences because, you know, it gives more context for people to grasp on and hold on to that. Oh, that's why yeah. you say basically just, just talk about your needs more or you know, <laughs> side, just like yeah. as simple as that. And say, oh, yeah, because you've had similar experience to me. And I know if you manage to solve it, maybe I can solve my issues. And I I think a lot for for the majority of people who have some kind of disability, whether it's a neurodisability or a physical disability, there is a lot of trauma that comes with that from repressing your needs. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I can do everything the way everyone else does it. I have to be able to because why wouldn't I be able to? And then you suppress your needs and you don't learn how to deal with them, which is something that I did for decades. Um, And it wasn't until the last year or two that I started to really think about how could I support myself? Yeah. And it took a lot of support from other people to get there. Um, And I'm still getting there, Um, but it's definitely there is a lot of trauma that comes with disability oh yeah god yeah like i i I know myself i keep yada yadering my like people go are you okay like you know like we can you know help sort you out even as simple as like headphones i'm like oh i'll just make do with these i'm all right yeah i'm not 
all right you know it's not exactly. the best solution it's like and uh, you know i'm getting used to embracing that support because i'm yeah. so used to sort of pushing it to the side because i keep thinking if i mm-hmm. say say something or say like you know that will just deem me as like you know a more problematic employee yeah. a more weak employee employee you don't want to have needs because <laughs> yeah. you should be able to do everything yourself and that's just not true mm. and once you recognize that you're not the same as everyone else no one's the same as anyone else <laughs> like it's not just the fact that that we might have a disability or a neuro difference or whatever i'm not the same as you you're not the same as anyone else <laughs> and when you add on the difficulties that we face yeah through our disability through our trauma through all the things that we've gone through in life yeah we need support <laughs> <laughs> like it would be crazy if we didn't need support because yeah. i mean i've I, i've gone through a lot in my life i i've moved schools due to bullying i've you know had a difficult family life at home yeah i've not had friends at all until like the last four years and so many things just add up to yeah i really need support yeah and and i deserve that support and you deserve that support and everyone deserves that support Mm. because without that support you're not going to be able to do your best yeah, I guess, like, you know, you're never going to get reached that place of, like, happiness, whether, like, you know, yeah. sort of work-life balance, you know, happiness and work, happiness in your own life. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's like you said, you literally will have two roads that you can go down. You go down the road where you burn yourself out, you destroy your mind and body for, for what? For nothing. Yeah. Or you can, like you say, you realise that you need to embrace, like, you know, the support networks around you, the things that you you're entitled to receive yeah <laughs> like you know it's like it's a it's a really weird like paralyzed like you can either go the best version or like the worst version there's no yeah. middle ground <laughs> yeah like when i was at university the first time because i did go back for a semester we don't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> but when i was at university i really was burning myself out i was doing a course and i was working three jobs at the same time yeah and I lived at home, but I didn't have any home life. I just went to school, went to work, went to work, went to work, went to school, went to work. (laughs) And it was, it was so much. And I never got any accommodations in any of my situations. And now I'm like, I've got all this holiday at work. Why don't I just take a day off? Because I can. Because I want to. Because yeah. I'm feeling a bit tired this week and I could do with a long weekend. And it's so simple. Like, I used to be proud of the fact that I had worked 45 days in a row without a break. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I've gone to school three days a week and every other day of the week I've been working at least one job per yeah. day. I would leave one shift and go to a different job. Wow. Sometimes I'll go to school and then go to work and I didn't have a single day to myself for months. Yeah. But I, I would boast about it. Like, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm 
completing capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> I've got first I, place in the game. I think I'm winning, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might be exhausted and I might struggle to actually wake up and do basic self-care. But you know what? I'm winning. <laughs> but now, like, yeah, when I need time off, I take it. When learning that if you're not feeling well mentally, that is still a reason to take a sick day. Yeah. And there are so many things that you don't realize there are accommodations built in for you. You just are so used to not having <laughs> them that you don't use them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that, that's good. I guess, um, yeah. you know, um, listeners would be interested to know how you actually got into games, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very... I was extremely lucky. Um, growing up, my, my passion and everything was always music. Okay. I was like, um, I mean, I've played an instrument for as long as I can remember. I've played a bunch of different instruments. Um, that's where I, I can impress you with my grade two violin. <laughs> oh, I never <laughs> did grades, so you're beating me. <laughs> but, I mean, I played recorder as everyone did in like primary school. And then I learned French horn when I was six. I played in the Royal Albert Hall when I was seven, so Ooh. that was exciting. Yeah. All I remember is I played the Wallace and Gromit theme tune. <laughs> but yeah, then I've been playing guitar for as long as I can remember. And then when I was at uni, I learned how to play drums and bass, and I've always tinkered on the piano, yeah. and I sing. Like, music is such a huge part of my life, and I always thought that I would get a career in music. I was going to start a recording studio yeah. and do all these things. And then I realized I didn't actually want to work in that industry. Also, I couldn't because I couldn't get in. Um, and then I met my partner almost four years ago. And she was doing a games design. I think it's games design course at university okay. yeah. when we met. And she had all these consoles that I never had access to growing up. So I'd never played games except for the odd Guitar Hero <laughs> jam or a bit on the Wii when I went to my friend's house and played Wii Sports. <laughs> but I suddenly got into games and I, I couldn't even use the, the two joysticks individually. I was like, I move and then I look and then I move. <laughs> uh, and then I played the game Brothers of Tale of Two Sons. I don't know if you know that game. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Um, that was the first game that I ever played and completed. And it ignited this love of games in me. I was like, first of all, the story is amazing. Second of all, it taught me how to use the joysticks individually. <laughs> and then I went on, I played The Witcher 3, I played Skyrim, I played all these different games. And I just, I fell in love with games as a player. Yeah. And then hearing my partner talk about making games and all this code she was doing, I got really excited and I was like, oh, maybe I should get a job in QA because I'm great at breaking games. <laughs> I broke I broke The Witcher 3 so bad that the PlayStation gave up. Uh, <laughs> it was a full-on shutdown bug. Um, so I, I got a mentor in QA yeah. um, through the limit break. Uh, yeah. Uh, through, yeah, through that. I, what do you call it? Mentorship program. Thing. Yeah, program. That's the <laughs> word I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, so I got a QA mentor through Limit Break, and they were great. Um, it was great to meet a person who was neurodiverse and also non-binary in the industry. Yeah. And um, so they taught me a lot. But then I realised that writing bug reports is really hard. 
And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to university and do a games technology course. And so I phoned Coventry University and I said, can I join the course? And they said, you can, but we're already five weeks in. So you've got five weeks worth of catch up to do. And in this time, I had been applying to every every game studio that I could find in in the immediate area to me. And I got no response, no response, no, no response, no response, sorry. And so I went to university, I started this course. Yeah. Um, absolutely did awful, could not get the hang of code. And then a few weeks into the course, Chris McCarthy called me and said, would you like a job? And uh, like, well, I'm like, well, I'm doing a degree now, so no. <laughs> okay, kind stranger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like, I, I turned down the job. Um, and then I got to Christmas on my first semester. Semester ended. Mm. Didn't do any work over Christmas break because I, I couldn't face opening my computer. Mm. Um, got really depressed about it. I was having a really hard time. And then I thought... Why am I forcing myself to do this? I got offered a job at this studio. And so I emailed Chris and I was like, do you still have a job? And then I think four weeks later, I started. <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely a case of knowing the right person at the right time. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I mean, I, I went through all these different places that took me to here and gave me experience in the games industry, yeah. however small it was. But having that mentor, doing that semester of, of games design or games tech, I, I learned about the internal working of games. Yeah. And so even though I'm only in an admin position, that knowledge definitely helped me here. Because yeah. I was like, well, I have a passion for games. I have some knowledge of how games are made. Yeah. And I'm also really good at talking to people and doing admin work, so I think you should hire me. And they said, okay. So yeah, seven months later, we're still going. <laughs> they like, haven't got a reason to get rid of me yet. Yeah. No, yeah I'm that's... trying to keep it that way. <laughs> well, that's interesting because, like, you know, it's that sort of um, when people are at university or in education, it's that sort of weighing up your options of like, I, should, I, should I really quit, like, being on this course yeah. to, like, take a risk of a job sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. And it, it was really terrifying because I was like, well, I'm doing this course so I can get the knowledge to get a job in the industry. Mm. Um, but at the same time, if I can get a job anyway, do I need the degree? And I remember talking to one of the people who was in the year above me and she, like, helped out the first years. Yeah. And I was like, I got offered a job and I turned it down because I'm here. And she looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you got offered a job in the games industry that you're here to learn things, to get into the games industry, to get a job. But you've been offered one now <laughs> and you didn't take it. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I really did do that, didn't I? And I realized that I, I couldn't keep going with this course. Like I never caught up the first five weeks because yeah. learning new content and having five weeks worth of content to catch up on is is so intense. Yeah. Like you need to hundred percent commit and just you sort of study is the only thing you do. And I couldn't commit to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, I can't do this. So I, I remember speaking to my brother and having like a two hour long conversation with him about it. And he was like, do what 
what's right for you. Right? <laughs> if you're going to fail this course, probably don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly that, you know. Who knows, if, if you did on the course, would you have stuck it out sort of thing? <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was like, it was a real stressful thing. So I was like, on the one hand, I could get a degree. On the other hand, I'm not going to get a degree. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm going to message this nice recruiter man from this cool looking company. And he was like, well, that job I had offered you is gone. But I can offer you this job. <laughs> um, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Like this, this job is perfect for me. It allows me to work in a way that suits me. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, I got really lucky. No, that's it's really nice to hear. Like, in, I think you know, it's that sort of thing where I always think that could be listeners that are obviously looking at games or if they can get into games themselves. And mm. you know, you start by a good example of like you know, sort of creating opportunities for yourself and then obviously grabbing those opportunities that they yeah. come. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was literally, I was searching up game studios in Leamington, game studios in Kenilworth, game studios in Warwick, <laughs> and just emailing everyone. And I think I also got lucky because before I got this job, I was unemployed for a really long period of time. As over a year I was unemployed for. I got COVID sacked from my previous job. <laughs> Yeah. I had COVID symptoms, so I took time off work. And then when I came back, they said, you're fired for taking time off work. Oh, God. <laughs> Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. But that, that's basically what happened. Yeah. And then I, I couldn't find another job. I was looking for more jobs in admin in the medical industry and looking for, like, data entry jobs. And I, I couldn't find anything. And I was just like... I've been applying to so many jobs and getting so many no's. And then I was, I got on uh, Universal Credit. Yeah. And through Universal Credit, they put me into this program to help people get employed. And part of that was looking at your CV. And so I actually had a professional just basically rewrite my CV for me. Um, I was like, yeah, can I have a one-on-one -on -one session where you look at my CV and tell me what to write? And then she told me what to write, took my CV home with her, rewrote it, and then gave it to me and said, here you go, now you can have a job. <laughs> <laughs> and like my CV before was a little bit trash. And then it became this really professional document. Yeah. Which definitely helped. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, uh, you know, um, what's interesting, I think, from your experience and your life, <laughs> funny enough, um, is that that love of gaming and wanting to get into the industry kind of came in later like obviously yeah. a, a lot of people i talk to are kind of like i've been playing games since i was a little wee person yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. okay um but yeah it's nice to it was really refreshing actually for yeah. someone to have got that people like oh no i didn't start playing games to like you know a couple of few years ago sort of yeah thing. I, w I was about what 20 21 when I started playing games and like I remember growing up like my brothers had a PlayStation 1 and then they had a PlayStation 2 and then they all left home but they all got PlayStation 3s and I'm pretty sure someone's got a PS4 somewhere and <laughs> I'm the only one who's got a PS5 though. <laughs> humble brag. <laughs> yeah, humble brag. Uh, but I was never allowed to play games on them and like 
when I tried to play racing games, my my brother would get so mad at me because I would be like, you know, moving <laughs> with the car, and he's like, "It doesn't do anything. Control it. The joystick does all the moving. You but swing you don't know side that. to side." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but it helps me in my head. That's what matters. I'm still gonna lose the race, but it helps me in my head. Um, <laughs> my sibling was always doing that. Like, would say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still do it now. I can't help it. And if I'm if I'm in a tense fight, my whole body tenses up, and I'm like, Ugh! and then I win the fight, and then my whole body relaxes, and I didn't realize I was so tense. And, um, but yeah, I, I never got the opportunity to to develop that love for games growing up. I yeah. the only personal console I had was a Nintendo DS Lite. And the amount of games you can play on that are quite limited. Like, the amount of, like, games that really foster love of games, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And I only had a few games. The one game I read, two games I remember was Nintendogs. And the, there was a brain training game that I absolutely loved. I've got it oh. on the Switch now. Um, that Dr. Oh, yeah, Kawashima. Dr. Yeah, yeah. Dr. <laughs> yeah. My mom absolutely loved that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my mom had it on her DS. And every time I went to her house, I would sit there and just... <laughs> I'm so smart. I'm doing the music game and I'm so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then when I met my partner, I really fell in love with games. And, yeah. and I think another thing that is quite relevant to the fact that I started playing games later in life is I'm not very good at games. That doesn't stop me enjoying them, but I'm not very good. And so every game I play, I always play on easy mode. And when you when you talk to some of the seasoned gamers who've been playing games since they were like little children, they're like, oh, you play on easy? What are you, a little baby? You can't play games. You should play on hard and get the real challenge. I'm like, yeah, but that's not fun. <laughs> it's a game. It's meant to be fun. Um, yeah. I'm like, Sometimes I'll get spicy and put the difficulty up to medium. <laughs> and then it'll get too hard and I'll put it back down to easy. Uh, <laughs> but I think that being into games later in life has allowed me that freedom because mm. I'm not in it for the challenge. I'm in it for the fun. And yeah, yeah. I, I've had so many arguments with my brother about this, my oldest brother. He's like, yeah, but if you play on easy, you don't get that achievement. I'm like, yeah, I do. I still win the game. <laughs> and then I get to enjoy it the whole time. And <laughs> I think that that's the joy of it. And I think that everyone should get into games and play at the level that works for them. And if you, if, if the challenge brings you joy, then go, go for it. Play on hard. But if it's ex experiencing the story and the dialogue and the characters, why not play on easy? Like you get to experience it so much more freely. Uh, I, I think it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> oh, no, it's, uh, it's a good viewpoint to have. And, mm. you know, it, it's right, because, like, you know, we shouldn't be creating a, you know, games out for you sort of scenario. You know, it should be pretty Yeah, fun. absolutely. Um, I, I think that games are such a useful resource as well. Like, games can... You can use games to teach people things like empathy. And I think like for, for neurodiverse people, they're such a great resource, like using games for therapy and escapism. Like games were a big part of me working out my gender identity because like I'm an absolute sucker for character customization. You give me yeah. a game. If you could make a game for me that was just... <laughs> 
draw not draw but build a character now build another character now you have 50 characters that all live in a plaza together and they're all you cool go i would be on it so fast i would pay so much money for it i think you just described making the sims (laughs) (laughs) yeah but the sims is less fun because you have to actually keep them alive (laughs) for me sims is you build a character and then you close the sims then you open sims Forget you've already built a character. Build a new character and then close the Sims. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I spend almost more energy building the character in these games than I do playing the game. Yeah. And realizing that I could build a character that looks like anything. I could play as the male character in games. I could make my name whatever I want it to be. Allowed me that freedom to explore that in myself. And. Mm. Um, like I, I play Dungeons and Dragons as well, and that's a, like all my characters are male because I could never play a female. I don't know what a woman is, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just like having that role playing element to games, whether it's tabletop games or RPGs or like like The Witcher or Skyrim, where you actually get to build your own character yeah. or. It's like any of those games, it gives you the freedom to think about, well, what what is my ideal me? What would in an ideal world, what would I look like? Or what would I sound like? Or how would I behave? And like playing those games where you get to choose the dialogue and it, it impacts the story. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if I was a different person, I could say this. Yeah. Or yeah. and yeah, just it gave me so much freedom to work out who i was and i'm sure it does that for so many other people yeah like helping people work out if they're trans or not like playing as a male character and having people call you he him or she her or whatever and just so many realizations that stem from games yeah yeah i'll be honest like i didn't really um appreciate because like that big of impact like it's like mm. oh yeah you can play the life that you want to live sort of thing but actually it's more profound than that you know it's kind of like uh, i guess uh, it's not subtle it's it's weird it's kind of like subtle in a way it's kind of like you know yeah. actually reaffirming and like you know so yeah. like, said, like it's sort of you know absolutely and it's also a lot of escapism like yeah. if yeah. you've got a difficult home life or if you're having to mask everywhere everywhere you go you can have that time to just run around and slap a monster and feel <laughs> cool or feel like a hero or yeah. feel like a villain who, who knows yeah. but you can you can do anything and i think yeah. that's that's part of what i love so much about games yeah is you can do anything you can be anything you can go anywhere I know we've, uh, we've been quite loose with our structure this uh, this week on this episode, but I guess my <laughs> sort of last question, sort of tied into mm-hmm. all that, but you might have, uh, don't worry if you have to repeat yourself, but it's kind of that, you know, that sort of magical gaming moment for you, like, you know, what was the sort of thing of like, wow, this is like, games are it, <laughs> or oh, this game has made me love games more. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely, a lot of it was that, that first full title that I played, Brothers yeah. of Tale of Two Sons, because... I had never really played games before, and once I I sat down and played this game, the story was beautiful. When I was playing the end game, my friend was sitting in the room with me, and they were absolutely bawling, just on the floor, catatonic, tears everywhere. (laughs) Um, And I was really emotional with it as well, and I realised that 
this game has helped me with my dexterity. So now I can move my thumbs independently. Yeah. Uh, this game had the most beautiful story. And I just wanted to play more. <laughs> and then I kept playing more games and I got more into it. Yeah. And like now, if I pick up a new game, using the controller is second nature. But a new game always gives me that sense of wonder. Like, oh, this is amazing. Look, it's so pretty. Look over there. Look over there. Oh, there's a new character. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um. And I think there's a big part of that with, with my new and diversity is like finding that childlike joy in everything. And yeah, I like to think that I find more joy than the average person <laughs> from these things. And playing games is such a large part of my life now. When, when, I, when I finish work, yeah. I want to play a game. When I've got a day off, I want to play a game. I want to find a new game. I always want that new... Yeah. Yeah, and it's like finding a big game that you can really sink your teeth in and yeah. play for hundreds of hours. Like when I played um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I put hundreds of hours into that. <laughs> and I loved every second of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, it's wonderful that you have, like, you know, that kind of grown-up joy that we all... Yeah. <laughs> like, you do kind of lose it when you sort of, as you grow up, like, that sort of, like, mm. you know, that childlike wonder of new things and excitement yeah. of, like, sort of doing the new thing. <laughs> and it's, it's obviously, it's nice that you've got games to do that for you, like, you, you know... Yeah. Sometimes like, I there's a bit of a struggle with my uh, my old madness now of like, <laughs> oh, this game's coming out. That's oh, the energy to play it. <laughs> but, I would love to get that sort of enjoy of like, oh, next game, like, I can't wait to yeah. know, have the next day off to like, you know, really jump, yeah, like headfirst into this. <laughs> yeah, like looking at all the new games that are coming out, I'm constantly like, oh, I want to play that one and that one and that one. Oh, there are too many games. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's all worth it to me because the joy that I get from opening a new game for the first time and getting to build your character and seeing all the other characters in the world and learning the combat systems or learning the farming systems, whatever <laughs> it is, it just brings me so much joy and almost purpose in my life. I feel like I'm getting out of bed for a reason and that's, that's huge to me. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. I do too. I think it's amazing too. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, unfortunately all we got time for this week. We could literally talk for hours. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely talk for hours and you're very easy to talk to, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know whether you have any social media where people could follow you, perhaps, or not. <laughs> not really. <laughs> like when, well, the only ever. thing I've got is my Spotify, which has two <laughs> songs on it. Two whole songs. <laughs> Please repeatedly listen so Ren can bot now and say, ah, that get money if I listen. <laughs> and then, like, something like 0003 <laughs> <Pencil. laughs> Yeah. Oh, but, but no, that's okay. Like, not everybody has to be on social media, kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't get it. I, I don't do anything on social media. <laughs> Stopped using Facebook. I've never used Twitter. <laughs> like, not for me. You were forever remaining enigma amongst all the guests. So, where are they? What were they? Yeah. Where, where yeah. will they be next? <laughs> I, I never actually existed. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was just a dream. 
God, <laughs> I've got to stop imagining up HR professionals. I don't know why it's yeah. always HR people. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should see someone about that. <laughs> maybe not an HR professional, though. <laughs> oh, well, I will say thank you so much for yeah. joining me on my little old podcast. Thank uh, you for having me, Chris. Who knows when great. I'll see you next? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure sometime. Sometime. Hopefully in the future, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thank you again. Uh, keep tuned because we'll have more people who are disabled on your reverse that work in the games industry. And always got an interesting story to tell, just like Ren this week. But yay. Thank Aww. you. Yay. <laughs> 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 Bye, everyone. Right. Thanks again to this week's guest. Make sure you follow DNA of Games on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube. Subscribe and like to ensure that you help this podcast grow and reach new audiences. We appreciate your support.